So we're going to talk about that question uh, more this morning. Before I get to that, though, I've got great news. The McConnells are here. Hey, guys. Yeah, Terry and Tiffany are here. I didn't, didn't realize you guys are still here in town, so great to see you guys. Our, our missionaries to Guatemala, uh, so we get a chance to say hi to them. I know they'd be happy to see you and, and hear from you. I have another exciting thing to say. Today, as you leave uh, out in the commons, we have free plants. These are plants uh, that are left over from last night. Uh, they are actually money trees. They grow into money trees. So if you'll water them and take care of them, you'll never have to worry about money again. All right? So be sure they're on a table. As you leave, pick one up, okay? All right? Hey, dude, come here. Did you get one too? No, I didn't get one. Well, there you go. You. See? Congratulations. There's college right there. Say that, yeah. Yeah, Daddy, yeah. Hey, all right. You're welcome. Yeah. Hey, also uh, let you know, you've heard this before, we are fostering South Burleson, uh, a church, local church here in our area, and so we are coming alongside them to help them grow and carry on their mission, and so we are seeking 10 young families, mission-minded, that would go over to South Burleson for 12 months, be a part of that church, help them to grow, help them to reach their community. Uh, if you have any interest at all, this is not signing on the dotted line. This is just, hey, I'd like to know more about this opportunity. Next Sunday, right after church, 12, 15 or so, we're going to have an interest meeting. And we're going to invite you to come and just hear what that looks like, what that's about. Uh, and I hope you've been praying, asking God, is this something you would have us to do? Because uh, we're looking for 10 families to go and be a part of this. So if you're interested, we'll have that going next Sunday. And just looking around the room, it looks like we are, are full again here at 11 o'clock. And so I want to encourage you, if it's at all possible, for you to make the 9.30 modern worship service. Uh, we do have more room available there. Uh, as we continue to grow, you heard we just had 42 new family members here at First Burleson. So we are growing. The Lord is adding to our number, and so we're trying to provide space for everyone to be able to come who can come or wants to come and worship. So you can help us out that way by showing up at 9.30 if that fits what's going on. I know it doesn't for everybody, uh, but if you would consider that, that would be great. Uh, so we started this sermon series, as Sam mentioned, Who's Your One? Last week, we looked at where Jesus called his first disciples out of Matthew, and we noticed that Jesus called his disciples from the B team. We talked about the rabbi school and how every Hebrew boy at age five was enrolled in rabbi school, and there were two different cuts that went through the years, whether they made it or not, or they decided that was not for them. And if you didn't go to rabbi school and become a rabbi, then you went back home and worked in the family business. And so we saw where Jesus went around and chose his disciples, mainly from fishermen, who apparently didn't make the cut at rabbi school, so they were kind of the B team, the outcasts, so to speak, and that's who Jesus chose. Because we noticed that Jesus doesn't choose the best, he chooses the willing. The criteria of what Jesus looks for is not necessarily the best, although some of the best are willing, but it's really more the willing. It's more a matter of the heart, the willing to obey and follow. And so we use that to compare that a lot of people wear the Christian label, but not a lot of people are true disciples of Jesus, true followers of Jesus, especially in our country, especially in this part of our country. A lot of people will consider themselves a Christian, but they're not really a disciple of Jesus. Maybe they went to church or had an experience, but, and they like the label, but they don't, there's no follow-through. There's no commitment to that identity. 
And so we saw the difference and talked about that last week. And so today we're going to ask the question, are you a fan of Jesus? Now, don't raise your hand, but consider that. Uh, do you consider yourself a fan of Jesus? It's interesting. Uh, of course, I grew up in sports, and our kids played sports, and we all have our favorite teams, and we go to our kids' games and different things. And it's funny to talk to people after the game. Uh, like me, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan, always been, always will be, regardless of how bad they are. Uh, you know, I'm not one of those fair-weather guys. I, I stick through thick and thin. And so a lot of times you'll talk to people about the game, and you'll hear things like, you know, if we, if we just had a stronger defense, I mean, we just couldn't stop the run yesterday. Or, hey, if we could find us a wide receiver, then we'll score more points than you can imagine. We just need one wide receiver. Dak's coming back. We, we, we've been working on that. We've been, you know, we did great in the draft, and we're so excited about it. And you're just, and, and I do this too, but in the back of my head, I'm going, we? <laughs> we? Were, were you on the field? Were you on the court? Were you, were you in the band? I mean, we do. We just say we because we feel like we're a part of that. But let's make no mistake. You're not a player, you're a spectator in those games, which is great. We need cheering fans, but don't act like you're a player. And that just kind of came to mind because I think sometimes in the church, we have a lot of fans of what's going on, but what we need are players. Not players, but players, <laughs> right? We need people on the court, in the game, in the band, wherever it may be. We need people using their God-given talents and abilities to help move the ball forward, help advance the kingdom. Our goal is to glorify Jesus. You heard Sam say earlier, the motto, who we are, we per are pursuing Christ and loving people. In order to advance the kingdom, we need everyone who's been called to be a part of this family doing their part. We refer to ourselves as a church, as a family, as an army. We are a team as well, and we have a mission. We have a goal. God has told us to go and make disciples of all nations. That starts in our own backyard. And so every one of us who is truly a disciple of Jesus, that is a part of our calling. It's not just for a select group. It's not just for the staff or the deacons or the trustees or life group leaders. Every one of us who call upon the name of the Lord, part of our calling is to know Him and love Him and to share Him with others. And that's our focus on this, who's your one? There's a great book uh, I've read. If you haven't read it, you should. It's called Not a Fan. And, and the byline to this book, it's written by Kyle Adelman, and it says, becoming a completely committed follower of Jesus. And there are a couple of lines in the book that really stood out to me. One is, fans want Jesus to inspire them but Jesus wants to interfere in their lives. <laughs> you understand, when, when you follow Jesus, he's going to wreck your life. I mean, you've had all these plans and things laid out and made out, and he's going to come in and say, well, this is what I have for you. And it may not be the same as what you have for you, but it will be better. Another line was, following Jesus is not something we can do at night where no one notices. If we're truly following Jesus, people are going to notice, and we want them to notice by what we say and what we do. And this line was probably my favorite of all. There is no forgiveness without repentance. There is no salvation without surrender. There is no life without death. There is no believing without committing. And we can cheer the first three. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I get that 100%. But then when it comes to me, believing means committing. In other words, I don't just believe that Jesus exists. The Bible says the demons believe that. 
But this idea of believing is trusting and following. I am committing to following Jesus, whatever. Whatever he calls me to do, whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice, whatever I need to do, I'm dying to myself and I'm living for Christ. And this is the idea of what it means to become a disciple, a true disciple. And so part of that is helping us to discover who is your one. And we're starting very simple with this whole question. Who is that one person that you know that is far from God? And simply by asking the question, do they have a church home? And we're using that to identify that most likely if they don't have a church home, they may not be a believer. That's not true for everyone, obviously, but it's a high number, high percentage of those who are not involved in the church are not believers. And so we're seeking who's that one, and you have one. You may not have identified that one yet, but you have one. There's someone in your life, someone in your circle, someone that you intersect with that is not a Christ follower. And part of that responsibility God has given us is to at least point them to him. We can't save them, but we can tell them about the one who can. And so that's the question between behind who's your one. So today we're going to look at Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. If you have your Bible, if you're open there. If not, it'll be on the screen. A very familiar story about four guys uh, who had a friend and did an incredible thing. In the story, Jesus is back in Capernaum. He had been there before. He healed Peter's mother when he was there before. And so at this stage of Jesus' ministry, he's very popular because people want to hear what he has to say. They want to be taught, but they also want to be healed. So whenever he shows up, there's always a crowd of people wanting to be healed or whatever ails them. And that's what we find Jesus here in Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was, was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy, who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So here's the story. These men had a mission to get their friend to Jesus. That was their focus. That's why they were there, because they were concerned about their friend. He was paralyzed. They wanted to see him walk again, which highlights for me the fact that we are to have a burden for those who are far from God, who are paralyzed because of sin, who are lost because of sin, who are destined for eternity separated from God because of sin. They have a problem, and we have a solution. And it starts by having a burden for those who don't have what we have, who don't have Jesus. Now, we know that we're supposed to, right? I mean, as a Christian, you know we're supposed to care for the lost. 
We're supposed to share Jesus with those who are far from God. But do we? What keeps us from doing this? If we know we're supposed to, what keeps us from fulfilling it? Is it because of lack of compassion? Do we just really not care? Do we not really believe hell is real? Are we so wrapped up in our lives and our problems that we don't really have time to consider? We don't even really think about it. It's not something we wake up with on our mind and go to sleep with it on our mind. It's not that we're mean or we're cruel, we don't care, we just don't think about it. Well, I hope that as a disciple we start to think about this more. These guys had compassion. This fits our motto of pursuing Christ and loving people. And the truth is, the more that we grow in love with Christ, the more we mature in our faith, the more we're going to love people. The more we learn to appreciate the love of God, the more we're going to want to share it with those who haven't experienced it yet. Again, we can't save anyone, but we can point people to the one who saves. At least we can do that. At least we can talk about it. At least we can let them know our story of what we were before, before we let, met Jesus, how we met Jesus, and how he's changed us. That's the most simple thing we can do. But it starts with compassion, truly caring that people without Jesus will spend eternity in a place, a terrible place called hell. The word compassion means I have your pain in my heart. I think that's a beautiful definition. If I have compassion on you, I may not be going through what you're going through. I may not understand it, but the very fact that you're suffering hurts me. I don't want to see you suffer. I know as a parent, I would rather hurt than see my kids hurt. It's that same idea. I would rather take that pain, which is exactly what Jesus did, than to see you have to suffer. Maybe it also leads to us seeing people that are suffering. It's interesting, this, the whole snowmageddon or whatever we want to call it, plus COVID-19, we've seen people taking care of one another, which has been a beautiful thing. And our church has been a, church has been a large part of doing all of that. But I heard stories of, you know, when electricity was out or pipes were frozen, people taking water to their neighbors, people taking blankets, firewood, inviting neighbors to come and spend the night in their house because they had electricity. And it was a beautiful scene to see people caring for their neighbors who were suffering. And it just made me think, if we're concerned about people in the temporary suffering, which we should be, how much more should we be concerned about their eternal suffering? Because no suffering on earth compares to suffering for eternity. The suffering we know now is temporary. The suffering in eternity has no solution. And so I think we need to ask ourselves three questions. First of all, how terrible is hell? How despicable is hell? It is the place of eternal suffering. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 8, 12. In the story, he says, but the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Every author in the New Testament talks about hell. It's dreadful. Hell is a dreadful place. Jesus talked about it in such severe terms and said, don't go there. If you have to pluck out your eye and cut off your hand, do it. Just don't go to hell. That's how terrible 
it is. How despicable, how dreadful is hell, and then how delightful is heaven. That's where we want to go, right? When you look at the comparison of what heaven and hell are like, you'd be crazy to choose hell over heaven. We want to go to heaven, and heaven is possible. Heaven is available. And the Bible gives us glimpses into heaven, but our mind could not imagine how amazing it really is. And that's the place that Jesus died so we can go to. And then to think the question, how long is eternity? You ever just try to think about forever? Just try to imagine forever. Everything we know has an end on this planet. There is no end to eternity. That's the word, right? Just try to think about it just forever going on and on and on and on and on. And the Bible's very clear. We will live forever in one of two places. Either eternal suffering in hell, eternal glory in heaven. This is why Christ came. And through him we can trade sin for salvation, guilt for grace. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's who that one that God's placed on your heart needs to hear, needs to know. So we need to put feet to our prayers. I hope that when God places that person on your heart, you start to pray for that person that God would save him or her. But then it's also to put our feet into action, put our prayers into action. The other prayer should be, God, what part can I play in sharing the message of truth with this person you put on my heart? How can I share the good news with this person? These guys were motivated. They had a friend they wanted to see walk, and they believed that Jesus could make him walk. That's why they were determined to get him to Jesus. Do you really believe that Jesus saves? Do you really believe that Jesus heals? Do you really believe that Jesus forgives? If we do, then we want those people we know and love to meet him because they need him because they fit into one of those categories. They wanted their friend to walk. This story has kind of new meaning for me. Uh, personally, back in 2006, my father had two spinal cord surgeries. He was diagnosed with spinal stenosis, and they were able to correct it for a while, but over the last couple of years, he's really been deteriorating to the point now he can't even walk. So he's seeing some more specialists and trying to figure out if there's something they can do. But because it's deterioration, he has to use a walker, and that's even a struggle for him. Usually he's being pushed around in a wheelchair, usually by my mom. And so just watching my dad, he's only 76 years old, and so watching him deteriorating, I've got to tell you right now, there's, not, there's probably not anything I wouldn't do to see my dad walk again, to see him be able to walk like he used to. I mean, he was... Before his surgery, he was playing racquetball and rock climbing. I mean, he's just a very active guy. The scene like this is heartbreaking. Now, know that one day he will walk. He'll jump, he'll leap, no walkers, no wheelchairs. One day he'll be set free from all this because he has been set free from his sin. He knows Jesus Christ is the leader and forgiver of his life. But I want to see it now. <laughs> I would rather see him do that now than have to wait and see it in heaven. So I, I just... Imagine that same desire for these guys, for their friend. We're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to upset people. We're going to ruin our reputation. We're, we're going to annoy people. We're going to get our friend to Jesus, whatever it takes, because we believe that Jesus can heal. 
Do you believe the same for that one on your heart? Jesus can. So these guys were creative. They had an eager expectation. They knew that when Jesus is in the house, miracles happen. They believed Jesus healed. They'd seen him heal. They'd heard about him healing. They had no doubt that he could heal their friend. If they could just get him to Jesus, he would heal them. Jesus is in this house. If we can just get our friends here, at least, they can hear the gospel message. They can meet people that care about them. They can meet disciples of Jesus who act and talk like disciples of Jesus and at least be confronted with the truth of who Jesus is. At least we can bring people to church or invite them to join us online or share the services on social media. That's basic. It's it's a no-brainer. That's not difficult to do. It's not threatening. It shows that you care. That was the determination behind these guys. They were creative. There were obstacles that stood in their way. There was a crowd. It was packed, standing room only, and that was outside. They could have easily said, well, it's too crowded. We'll we'll come back tomorrow, or we'll try another time, or sorry, bud, I guess we're just out of luck. (laughs) Instead, they climbed on the roof, and they cut a hole, which you can imagine the homeowner was not real excited about. They didn't care. They wanted to get their friend to Jesus. The Bible is filled with people who took risks. Hebrews chapter 11, which we call the Hall of Faith, people filled like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Characters in the Bible that took a risk for God, did incredible things for God, but it took a risk. Before chapter 11, Hebrews 10, 38 and 39 says this, by my, but my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. We were made righteous in Christ and the righteous do not shrink back. Not even the gates of hell can stop the church. Not even the gates of hell can stop the gospel from being shared. And that's what Jesus wants us to do, to share the gospel to those who need to know him. There's a a common phrase I hear people use, and it sounds sweet. When God closes a door, he opens a window. You ever said that, heard that? Man, I hate that phrase. It's just, it's ridiculous, right? Because to me, it seems like what we're looking for is the the path of least resistance. Well, God's will for me must be the easiest choice, right? If this is God's will, then it's going to be a piece of cake. No, actually, it's usually the opposite. Usually God's plan for you is the most difficult choice. What he's calling you to do is is going to cost you the most. It's going to be the hardest choice you're going to make. If you're looking for the easy way, you're probably not going to find God's way, just to be honest, in my experience at least. Because sometimes I think when God closes a door in front of you, he wants you to cut a hole in the roof. <laughs> when God closes a door in front of you, he, he wants you to just bust it down because you know what he's called you to do. You know what he's asked you to do. And it's so easy the first time we met, meet resistance to say, oh, well, I'll, I'll just wait. Or I'll just I'll just keep praying. And no doubt we need to pray and we need to keep praying, but we need to be people of action as well. And I know prayer is action, but also we need to get our feet moving, get our, get our mouths moving. We need to address the issue. 
We need to encounter, engage the people who are far from God that God's put on our heart. Don't look for the easiest path. In fact, expect obstacles. When you get committed to reaching your one, just expect there's going to be obstacles. There may be rejection. It may be uncomfortable for you. But no more excuses. That doesn't matter. Because that person's soul is the issue here. Not your uncomfortableness. Not your whining or excuses. You are not exempt as a disciple of Jesus from sharing the faith. These men were committed. They had a singleness of purpose. They had a friend who was in need. They believed Jesus. They shared the same goal. Let's get him to Jesus. And they shared the same attitude. We're going to do whatever it takes. We need this same spiritual determination when it comes to your one. Your one person, your one family, whoever God's put on your heart. Have that same spiritual determination. Whatever it takes, God, I'm going to reach out to this person and share your love with them. And because of this, they saw the miraculous. They got more than they bargained for. They just wanted Jesus to heal their friend so he could walk. But Jesus saved him for all of eternity. (laughs) He gave him eternal life. He gave him heaven. He gave him the ability to walk, which is awesome and cool. But the greater miracle is he saved him from his sins. So that man today is in heaven with Jesus. That's pretty cool, right? Your neighbors, that one, has a need. Maybe they're struggling. I I just found out somebody lives in my neighborhood just diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. There's a need there. Not sure if if this person is a believer or not, but there's a need there. I'm going to reach out to be a neighbor to meet, at least encourage as best I can. And my prayer is God heal this neighbor, but also there's the hope of eternity. Our, Our friends need healing, need something, yes, but the most important thing, they need forgiveness of sin. They need salvation. Jesus offers both. And what is not healed on this planet, we know is healed in heaven. That's the good news. That's the glory. That's the motivation, right? So let's not settle for the ordinary. Ask God to do what only he can do in the life of your one. Ask God to give you an opportunity to share your story with that person. Aristotle said this, the soul never thinks without a picture. As we think, images come to our mind. Just imagine for a minute that person that God's put on your heart. Just imagine that person asking Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of his or her life. Wouldn't that be awesome? Even if you're not there to hear it, to know you had a part in that process. And maybe that is. You're a part of the process. God is moving that person towards him, and you're, you're number seven on a list of ten. Just do your part. That's all you have to do. You can't save them, but you can do your part. Just imagine. Imagine if every one of us shared faith with that one that God's put on our heart. And all those people came to Christ. And all those start, people started growing and becoming a disciple. And you got to disciple them and be a part of their life. And then we've got all these other people helping advance the kingdom of Christ in our area and across the world. Just imagine 
the movement. We all want to be a part of a movement, right? This is a movement of the gospel. We can't wait any longer. No more excuses. We have to do our part. We don't know how much longer we have. There's a sense of urgency here. There's a sense of urgency with these friends. Because I think that if the size of our vision doesn't intimidate us, it may be insulting to God. If we think, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have 2,000 people on our campus? That'd be wonderful. What if we had 200,000 people saved, <laughs> right? And this is a big God we serve. Let's not think small. Let's not settle for the ordinary. These people saw the miraculous because they brought their friend to Jesus. I mean, to see a dude get up and walk who was paralyzed, that's pretty cool. But to know that they're going to be in heaven for all of eternity, that's amazing. And that's what we see. Because people, just like we did, we needed and they need an interchange, a heart change. God does his best work in our hearts. And everything flows out of that. We sang this song earlier. Cody Carnes wrote a song, Run to the Father. And there's a great line in this song. It says, my heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. I love that line. That's the truth for every one of us. Every one of our hearts needed a surgeon. We were encased in sin. And we needed a surgeon to come and separate that sin, to remove it from us. My dad, when he had his first surgery, the surgeon didn't do a good job. As one of his neighbors said, hey, I know a surgeon that you need to check out. And it was that second guy that helped my dad. There are people who are suffering spiritually. Their hearts are cold. They're dead. And they need a surgeon. And you know who they need. Their soul needs a friend. They wonder if anybody cares about them. They have no idea that the God of the universe wants them in heaven for all of eternity. But you know, and you know them, and you know him, so let's make the connection. And here's the challenge. I challenge you to before to, to know the neighbors, know the people that live around you. Three houses to the left, three houses to the right. Expand that if you need to, whatever. A couple of weeks ago, we handed out these cards, and there's some more available out on these tables. And it's just our plan for this Who's Your One series. Find, serve, invite. And so I ask you to find one of those families or one of those people that live around you that's far from God by simply asking them, do you go to church anywhere? To find that person and, and pray that God puts a person, maybe they don't live around you, but somebody that God's put on your heart. The second step, and it's what I want to challenge you to do today, is to serve them. And so out on the table here in the commons, we have our little, we call our, our neighbor bags to, to hand to people when they move into our neighborhoods. But we're going to expand that. And these are great. They're reusable, recyclable. Uh, they, they never go bad. Never get moldy. Never run out. 
And so today I'm going to ask you to take one of these, or maybe you have several on your heart, and take however many bags. We've got 5,000, so we have plenty. And take it, and sometime this week, fill it with something good, something you made, something you baked, a T-shirt, picture your family, headshot of you, I don't know. Something nice and encouraging. And just take this to your neighbors. Say, hey, I just was thinking about you. Just wanted to bless you with something. Here, take this and enjoy. That's it. Is that hard? Is that a challenge? Is that uncomfortable? That's the simplest thing we do is just be nice to people. And to take this bag and give it to that neighbor, that person you've identified as far from God, just as a, a gift, a demonstration of love. To begin to open the door for some point of conversation. And next week, we'll talk about the next step. So identify that. Who's your one? Take him a bag. And next week, we'll talk about what we do next. Can you do that? And when you pick up these bags, I don't know, take one for yourself. They're really nice. Let's put feet to our faith. So those that we know, those that we love, can at least know that Jesus is real. Let's pray. Jesus, we know that you are real. We thank you for your love. I thank you for those who are here that are true disciples, have committed to following you, whatever the cost, whatever the sacrifice. Father, I pray for those who just wear the label Christian, maybe because experience, walked an aisle, signed a card, maybe even baptized, but never truly committed to following you. That today, through your Holy Spirit, you would convict them you would let them know they're not truly a disciple of Jesus. They know about him, but they've never given their life to him. What a terrible thought, Father, to, to get to the pearly gates one day and hear Jesus say, I never knew you. I pray that's not the case for anyone here or anyone listening or watching online. And Father, if there's anyone here watching that's never asked Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of their life, today would be the day they do that. And Father, for that one that you've placed in our heart, and we ask you to, to put that person on our heart that you have destined for us to reach, that you would first of all give us a burden for that person. As much as we imagine that person asking Jesus to be the leader and forgive their life, maybe a motivator would be to imagine that person eternally, eternally separated from you. And may that so horrify us that it would motivate us to just like these guys with their friend to do whatever it takes to introduce you to them. Help us at First Baptist Burleson, God, to advance your kingdom for your glory and we walk and we live in the power of the name that is above every name. Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord.